Thank you for listening to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. For copyright and disclaimers, as well as information about how to contact the iCritical Care staff, please listen to the notice at the end of this podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Joining us today is Denise M. Goodman, MD, MS. She is an attending physician in the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago, Illinois. She's also an Associate Professor of Pediatrics at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. Dr. Goodman is with us today to discuss her article, Defining Pediatric Sepsis by Different Criteria, Discrepancies in Populations and Implications for Clinical Practice, which was published in the July 2012 Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Thank you for being here, Dr. Goodman. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, Denise, would you please start by giving us some background to your study, why you did this study? So this study is actually an outgrowth of another study. Uh, The first author, Dr. Scott Weiss, who's now at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, had conducted a study during his fellowship where he enrolled patients and was studying a series of biomarkers in septic patients. And as is always done with a well-designed clinical study, he used the consensus criteria for sepsis in order to identify patients prospectively to enroll in his study. And he did this over a year's time. So we had data screening a full year's worth of admissions in our busy ICU. But as we reviewed the sepsis literature, we realized that people apply different definitions depending upon the study they're trying to do. So for instance, If they're trying to do large-scale epidemiologic studies, they won't have access to the clinical material that's needed to fulfill the uh, consensus guidelines, and so they'll use another approach, usually using a sequence of ICD-9 codes. And then, on the other hand, practitioners at the bedside will often identify a patient as septic based on a more clinical impressionistic kind of thing, and they don't usually go back to the books and ask precisely how much out of the norm is the heart rate or the temperature or the white count or something. So it struck us that these different operational definitions, while all excellent and valid, may identify not always the same people. And so we kind of envisioned this as a Venn diagram where each definition would circumscribe a group of patients, but those three circles might not actually overlay each other precisely. We wanted to see where the discrepancies were. How did you do this study? Well, we uh, identified the groups in three ways. The research cohort was identified prospectively, as I said, applying the consensus criteria in real time. Uh, for the what we call the administrative cohort, we found two approaches in the literature. In the paper, of Scott Watson and all, where they describe the epidemiology of pediatric sepsis, they used a series of infection plus organ system uh, dysfunction codes. And then in a different paper, there were some sepsis-specific codes that were used. So we screened the same group of patients from that year, over 1,700 patients, and applied those criteria to pull out the names of septic patients as identified by administrative criteria. And then we took a group of chart abstractors, a couple of the students, a resident, a nurse practitioner, and Scott, and they actually manually screened each chart during the PICU stay and saw whether a clinician had used the word sepsis 
to describe the patient. And they had to say that they thought that the patient was septic. So they were retrospectively reading progress notes. And then we did a bunch of inter-rater reliability testing to make sure that the abstractors were looking at the same thing and calling the same thing by similar names. And that's how we identified the clinical cohort. And then we examined the data to see if the patients identified by each of these three methodologies were in fact the same people or different people. So what did you find? It was actually pretty interesting. Overall, there were over 1,700 patients that we looked at over the year. And of those 1,729 patients, a total of 159 or 9% met at least one of the criteria for sepsis. And if you looked at them individually, there were 90 who met the uh, consensus or research criteria, which is about 5%. There were 96 that met it by the clinical criteria, which is 5%. And there were 103 that met it using the ICD-9 codes or the administrative criteria, which is 6%. But the overlay of them was only fair. There were about a quarter of them were identified as septic by all three criteria, But then we did a series of pairwise comparisons using a Kappa statistic to see what the agreement was between, for instance, clinical and research, clinical and administrative, administrative and research, and so forth. And the Kappa was about 0.58, which, to kind of turn that into words, there's different definitions of what good agreement on Kappa is, but many would say that good has to be at least 0.6 to 0.8, and very good is above 0.8, and something in the 0.4 or 0.6 would be considered somewhat moderate. So since it was about 0.58 agreement, there was moderate agreement between the definitions, but by no means did they identify consistently the same patients. So what were the differences between the three cohorts? Well, it's pretty interesting. The research cohort was actually sicker with a higher PIM2 score more use of inotropes, and more uh, ventilator support, which isn't surprising since the consensus criteria rely upon definitions of organ dysfunction to identify those patients. And on the flip side, the patients identified by clinical criteria, the clinical acumen of the practitioner, had a slightly lower mortality, shorter length of stay, lesser charges, and so That suggests a couple of things. Number one, that the research criteria actually has a propensity to identify those with respiratory infection in that cohort. And at the bedside, a clinician may be more likely to ascribe those patients to ARDS without invoking sepsis. It also suggests since the clinical cohort had a trend towards lower mortality, although it did not achieve statistical significance, it was 13% compared to 20% for the other two cohorts. It suggests that people are perhaps identifying sepsis clinically earlier or um, intervening earlier to kind of, I would say, interrupt the sepsis cascade. So if they kind of identify the patient before they achieve the full-blown clinical picture that the consensus criteria require, they may be able to affect some better outcomes. Why do you think you found differences between the three cohorts? Um, I think it's because, again, sepsis, unlike some diseases where there's a rigorous and well-known way to define them, we 
We know what an infection is when we have a positive culture. Uh, it's, it's a clear thing. We know what renal dysfunction is by specific BUN. Sepsis is still more of an operational definition. It's a syndrome instead of an actual disease. And as a syndrome, it requires a constellation of findings. And therefore, the precision in being able to identify septic patients is probably not as well honed as we'd like. That's one possible explanation. Another possible explanation, though, and this speaks to the limitations of the study, are first, the administrative criteria, the ICD-9 codes, are always applied at the end of a hospital stay, looking retrospectively. When you're in the heat of the moment, you may call a patient septic by your clinical acumen or by your applying the consensus criteria, the research criteria, and may later find out that that was not correct. But we elected to include those patients because in real life, that's what you do, and you would decide whether to enroll a patient in a study or to introduce new therapies based on what you thought at that moment. So I think there's uh, several different reasons why we might have seen differences between these three groups. What do you think your study means to the practicing intensivist? Actually, I think it's, um, it's pretty interesting in several ways. First of all, just by some of the clinical information we found, we uh, found that the mortality rate is still about 20%, which is four times the mortality rate in most PICUs, which, you know, is somewhere between 5 and 10. So sepsis is still an incredibly important disease in pediatrics, and that speaks to the need to advocate for appropriate allocation of research funding. But in terms of more practical things at the bedside, I think we tend to want to compare ourselves to other institutions. We look at outcomes in terms of both quality improvement and our own personal growth in our profession and how we decide whether we're doing a good job, where to, you know, put our efforts. And we have to be sure that we're actually comparing appropriate patients across institutions, that we're actually looking at what we think we're looking at. I think it's really interesting that we found that although the clinical characteristics of each of the three cohorts was very similar, they were different people. The ages were similar, the gender was similar, the degree of organ dysfunction was somewhat similar with the provisos I've already mentioned, and yet they were different people and with somewhat different outcomes. And therefore, if we compare what we're doing in one institution to that of another institution, we have to be sure we're identifying the patients in the same way. Yes, my understanding from your paper is that the administrative group included patients who had a DRG that fell within the category of infection and organ failure, but those being assigned at the end of the hospitalization are not necessarily occurring at the same time. So those patients might have been infected at one point and had organ failure at another point and not been clinically identified as severe sepsis. That is absolutely true, and it's an important limitation of this study. But it's also our best approach if we're doing large-scale administrative epidemiologic studies. So that is absolutely the case. And also, your observation influences the length of stay. When we apply the research or clinical criteria, we can infer the date that sepsis occurred. However, in the administrative 
when you apply the administrative criteria, you, you're not necessarily able to track back and know the precise day that sepsis might have started. So you have to infer that the first day of sepsis is probably the first or second day of the PICU stay, which may or may not be true. Right, which goes back to the point you were making about these three different uh, ways to identify patients are not identifying the same people. Correct. What implications does this study have for future research trials? Um, I think it gets to the fundamental question of the difference between efficacy and effectiveness, efficacy being the probability of benefit in a standardized or ideal condition, and effectiveness is when it's applied to the real world. In a clinical trial, in order to have some degree of uniformity in the enrollees, we would most likely use the research criteria, the consensus criteria. But now we know a couple of things. We know that that will identify the sickest patients, which is fine and probably appropriate when you're trying to study a novel therapy. But when you try to apply it more generally across the PICU population and rely on the clinical impression of sepsis, the therapy may or may not have the same benefit. And so I think that's an important thing. I would say that if you, for instance, look at the patients identified by the research criteria, the consensus criteria, about a 29% of them would not have been diagnosed as sepsis by the care team. And so it kind of speaks to how do you take clinical research findings and apply them to your actual practice. Right. That, I think you suggested earlier that the ones that were identified as severe sepsis in the research cohort often would have been considered ARDS or acute respiratory failure in the clinical. Right. Right. Because they had disproportionately more respiratory findings than the other groups. And I think that the Venn diagram at the end sort of shows the most important things that similarly, there were, let's see, 32 patients identified by clinical criteria who would not have met the research criteria. So there were 32 patients, or about a third that the clinicians thought were septic, that would not have been eligible for studies if enrollees were identified using the consensus criteria. That's really an interesting finding. Yeah. That depending on how you describe sepsis, you're going to get a different patient population. And, you know, this isn't a novel observation in general because there have been a number of studies that have shown in the adult literature in some stroke studies and some cardiovascular health studies, patients that clinicians thought might benefit from a therapy would not have been eligible for the trials that proved the utility of those therapies. So this is the first observation of this in pediatric sepsis and possibly in pediatrics, but there have been a number of studies that have demonstrated that when we try to extrapolate findings from a pivotal clinical trial to a greater practice environment, they may or may not be of benefit. And I think this just is a cautionary tale for us to be mindful of that as we try to improve outcomes across the board. And particularly since we often extrapolate data from studies in adults and apply them to children. If you can't even compare three different definitions in children and get the same group, it lends even more caution, I think, to applying data from adults to clinical practice in children. Which it, turns around and gets back to our discussion of allocation of research funding 
and this in no way invalidates these different criteria. And quite the opposite, the consensus criteria identify the very sickest patients, which are the ones who are appropriate for enrollment in a clinical trial. But conversely, the clinical criteria seems to have identified patients often and early, which shows the success of campaigns like the surviving sepsis campaign. So this doesn't invalidate those approaches. It just makes us mindful so that we don't flippantly apply conclusions in one study to our greater practice. Absolutely true. Do you have any further comments you'd like to make? No, as I said, I think that this to me was some fascinating and eye-opening findings. Dr. Weiss, the first author, who's uh, now at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, uh, deserves the credit for bringing this study to, to fruition and continues to study sepsis in his new position. And I think our research team did a superb job of really refining our understanding of how to identify septic patients. Well, thank you very much for talking with us. Well, thank you for having me. We have been talking with Dr. Denise M. Goodman from Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago, Illinois, discussing the article, Defining Pediatric Sepsis by Different Criteria, Discrepancies in Populations and Implications for Clinical Practice, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in July 2012. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information. You can now find us on Stitcher and Beyond Pod, as well as on iTunes. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. Mark your calendar for the Society of Critical Care Medicine's 42nd Critical Care Congress, which will take place January 19th through 23rd, 2013 in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Enjoy paradise in its purest form and catch up on life's most perfect pleasures so you can return from Congress refreshed and energized. Registration opens June 2012 at www.sccm.org congress. Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM, serves as an associate editor for the iCritical Care Podcasts. Dr. Parker is professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University Medical Center. A former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include severe sepsis and septic shock in children. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members.